All right, welcome to the Lowly Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Jay, and I have a special guest with me today. This is the one and only Travis Welch. Right, thank you. uh, The Director of Missions from our our association here at First Baptist Newkirk, uh, the the Kayes County Association of Baptists. And so, um, Travis, I'm just going to get you to kind of introduce yourself to our audience for anybody that might not know you uh, or have met you yet. Just kind of Give a little bit of background, a couple of minutes about yourself and where you're coming from and how you ended up back here, really, uh, right, as right. a director of missions. Right. Well, I was originally raised around here, and, and uh, after being called into the ministry, we moved to Fort Worth uh, to go to seminary. And at first, I thought I would just go down there, get educated, and leave as quickly as possible. But I ended up going down there, and we stayed for over 20 years. I've been, I was a pastor for over... Uh, 25 years and uh, better than 20 of those was at one church on the north side of Fort Worth. So uh, inner city inner, inner city kind of uh, ministry for the longest time and, and that sort of thing. And just within the past a couple of years, uh, we've been back and I'm doing this uh, uh, director of the K-Baptist Association. That's what I'm up to now. Yeah. I don't qualify what? for anything. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to laugh at this question. Right. But once again, for our audience that may not know, what is the director of missions and what exactly do I they know, do? I'm, I'm still trying to figure that stuff out. I got a job <laughs> description. Yeah, I've got a job description, and uh, but I quickly realized I'm, I'm not really in charge of a whole lot of anything. Uh, but it, um, it's a lot of just ministering to the pastors and uh, being free to move about and, and minister to the different churches within the association. There's like 25 churches in the association, so I, I kind of just go around and ministering uh, between those churches. Well, that's what I've always kind of thought is you're you're a pastor to the pastors. Yeah, so you're not there. They don't need one. Well, some of us like having one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, well, today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that that's um, really kind of come to the forefront in the last couple of years, especially in light of this COVID shutdown and all the stuff that we've had. But it's it's really really kind of exploded on the scene with uh, with uh, critical race theory and a lot of these these things, and of course the. Um, LGBTQ community and all the things that are going on with that. Um, I want to talk about what I see right now as two of the bigger threats, maybe not the biggest, but two of the bigger threats right now to uh, traditional historical Orthodox Christianity, and that is progressive Christianity, and then you have a lot, and sort of connected to that, and we'll talk about it, but um, you have a lot of major Christian leaders, particularly in the worship scene, deconstructing their faith, um, which is really just a fancy way of saying apostatizing, uh, because that's really what they're doing. But uh, we're going to talk about that towards the end. But first of all, I want to talk about progressive Christianity. And um, progressive Christianity basically came out of the, it emerged, it emerged out of the emergent church, uh, which was a, the emergent church movement was about late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, that was that seeker-sensitive movement and, and was real big with, uh, I, I call it touchy-feely kind of thing. It was all about experience and all about, you know, making people feel comfortable to come to Christ. Um, I talked about that Sunday morning. I was saying, you know, the, the Word of God makes me squirm in my seat, and I'm a yeah, pastor. It yeah, it should. And uh, the whole idea that you want to make the, the Word of God more palatable to unbelievers in order to get them to come seems like a false dichotomy. And, and like I said, some of those guys that were in that sort of seeker-sensitive movement have now since come out and said, hey, maybe that wasn't a good idea because, you know, we created a lot of people that came and sat in the church on Sunday mornings and got entertained, but we didn't make a whole lot of disciples. 
Um, but the emergent church kind of faded out here about the last 10 years or so. But um, as some have said, really what it did is it went underground and rebranded and came back up as progressive Christianity in the last 10 years. And uh, progressive Christianity is really kind of hard to nail down. I've actually done some research on it this week, trying to find out what exactly do they believe. And really, there's a wide spectrum of beliefs. It's almost like there's as many different denominations of progressive Christianity as there is Baptist or any other denomination. And so, uh, but there are some sort of core tenets that, that really sort of fit with, uh, kind of defines who they are. And uh, for this, and I'm going to recommend it, and I'll have on and the uh, links in the description below on the YouTube video, uh, a book by Elisa Childers uh, called Another Gospel. It's an, an excellent book. Uh, Lisa Childers was a former member of the pop Christian band Zoe Girl back in the 90s. Some of you older people might remember that like I did. Um, but anyway, she, uh, she got caught up in this progressive church movement and, and the church that she was going to and a pastor and really had a crisis of faith um, about kind of destroyed her, her belief and her faith in a lot of things. And uh, she went into apologetics and actually came back out stronger, having you know rebuilt her faith on the foundation of God's Word. And uh, she wrote this book, Another Gospel, based off of that experience and what she has learned from that. And she does a lot of great uh, videos and, and um, uh, conversations and interviews about this progressive Christian movement. So I might throw a couple of links of that in there too. Uh, but you can always just search her name on the YouTube channel if you're interested in more about this. But... She defines the progressive Christian movement as really uh, the biggest thing is they do not believe that the, the Bible, the Word of God, is uh, from God, that it's inspired by God, that, that, that it's inerrant. They believe that it is primarily a human book, um, which on the surface doesn't seem that nefarious until you really start breaking it down, because what that means is, well, if it's human, that means it's fallible. That means I can pick and choose what I want to believe because, well, when Paul says homosexuality is evil and you're going to go to hell for that, well, that's just Paul and his bigotry, so we can just ignore that part. Uh, in fact, a lot of what they believe is based off of, and we were talking earlier about the, the neo-Orthodox movement and the experiential uh, ideas of faith that were you know, really sort of prevalent early 1900s uh, into, into the end of last century. and. Um, these ideas that your experience, uh, that, that's a whole existential movement, your experience uh, trumps you know, the, the orthodox uh, beliefs of the Bible. Uh, and that's really, really what progressives are all about. They're all about, you know what, I feel like this should be this way, and I don't really care that Paul says this, or Jesus says this, or Peter says that, uh, because really, here's the truth according to them, those guys were writing back when Christianity was in its infancy, and that's the word that they'll use. Christianity was in its infancy. They were just learning what Christianity was, but Christianity has since progressed, and that's why it's called progressive Christianity. It's now evolved to better fit the society and the culture that we live in today. And so the, the idea is that we know more now than they did then, which I find incredibly arrogant on the surface. I think a lot of it has to do with the, um, uh, you know, there's, ne there's nothing new under the sun. All these kind of things have, have been here uh, forever. I, I'm not so familiar with some of these terms like uh, 
What'd you say? The the emergent church, the emergent or, church the, yeah. uh, or the or uh, the deconstruction or whatever. Yeah, it yeah is. we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not as familiar with those type of terms. I've seen them, but when you start describing it, it does. It is something that's born out of neo orthodoxy, where everything is subjective. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that we can we look at like a verse or something like that, and maybe can kind of have some. Uh, different interpretations or something, but what comes into play is their whole view of Scripture is completely different than what our view of Scripture is. Absolutely. Whereas we see the Bible as being the words of God, they merely see the the Bible as just being like the words of a witness Mm -hmm. or something like that. And it's very subjective. You know, the the writing of it is subjective, and there your interpretation of it is subjective, and everything is subjective. And you know, I'm used to the terms when I was in school. We used the terms like like neo orthodoxy, uh, personal revelation, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing, or feeling a feeling hermeneutics, Larmarker's yeah. feeling hermeneutics, yeah. that kind of stuff. We were, we those are the type of terms we used when we were studying it. So, uh, but it's all the I remember same. Remember that kind stuff of, from my seminary days I, too. I, I, yeah. I, you know, it's all the same kind yeah. of stuff that they're they're kicking around. And, uh, they've recanned it somehow, and yeah, and, yeah, know. just got it got rebranded. That's all right. it is. It's just right. rebranded, uh, you know, <laughs> rebranded heresy from earlier. I mean, it just keeps coming back around. But it, it really all goes back to that same principle. I mean, really, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Right. You know, and it, and it's like this idea of like, well, we don't trust God. We don't believe that what God said is right. We like how we feel about it better, so we're going to go with how we feel and what we think is right rather than God. So, I mean, it's back to Adam and Eve. I mean, it's the same Mm -hmm. old sin that just keeps coming back up in different forms. Um, Except this one is now packaged with um, social gospel. Um, And then, then of course, like uh, affirmation of uh, LGBTQ community. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, because really, I I was telling him I call it cultural Christianity, even though they would d- deny it. They, w- but I mean, it's it's basically you know we're just capitulating to whatever culture says is what it seems like, uh, even though they don't think that's the case. But I mean, really, it's like hey, society is leaning this way where gay marriage is okay, transgender transitioning, non-binary, all these terms that like pastors didn't even have to learn these kind of things yeah. five ten years yeah. ago, you know. I had to look that stuff up, you know, when I've got teenagers in our community that are talking about it, and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And so, you know, but they're following the culture rather than the Word of God changing the culture. The culture is changing the church in this regard. Um, and like you said, that's nothing new. They've been doing that for since the beginning of the church. Well, it's important that culture has been invading into the church. It's important that we understand the culture, and we're supposed to be culturally relevant. Right. But... Christianity by nature is countercultural, <laughs> you know. So exactly. we're kind of we're kind of stuck in a little uh, tension there between yeah. the, between the two. But we've got to be we've got to be honest about the truth. The truth is the truth, you know. For instance, homosexuality is a sin. It always has been. It always will be, and nothing is ever going to change that. It doesn't matter how socially acceptable and everything yeah. that it is. And it's not that we're being judgmental or that we're condemning or anything. It's already been judged and and condemned by God. And yeah, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah, so we're just telling condemned you what it by says. God and 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 and, yeah. and called a and an abomination. You know, we come along in love and just try to speak the truth in love yeah. and point people, point people to Jesus. And, and then the, and the good thing about it is we're all in need of a, of a savior. You know, we're we're all a bunch of sinners. My my sin may not be 
homosexuality, <laughs> but, but uh, my sins are every bit as grievous, and I'm in every bit as need of a Savior as, as a homosexual. So we, we got to be out there just uh, uh, loving and, and not condemning and everything, just, uh, just loving and pointing people to Jesus more than anything. What I would say, I mean, if, there, if there's anything good that comes out of the progressive Christian movement, I would say it is that, this emphasis on loving your neighbor, um, even elements of the social gospel ideas are not bad ideas per se. Um, I mean, certainly, yes, we want to be loving, we want to be supportive, and I, and I would say a lot of this progressive Christianity idea is actually born out of the unloving nature, and sadly, of a lot of conservative Christian churches that are um, much like the church at Ephesus in Revelation. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're uh, you know they they forgot how to love people. They forgot their first love, and they're not doing the things right. that they were doing at first. And now they're they're so doctrinally focused, which is good to be focused, but everything's got to be truth and love. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so they became unloving. And so I think a lot of churches have become unloving. And so this was like, hey, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be loving people and helping people out and kind of walking through life together, which is all good and, and, and proper biblical ideas. But then they took it too far. And they said, okay, well, let's be affirming of everything yeah. because we don't want to speak out against any of these things. But that's what happens when, yeah. we, when we talk about that uh, truth and love kind of a business. Sometimes we, we, we kind of we go one way too far than the yeah. other. We'll love someone to the exclusion of telling them the truth, you know, and then sometimes we're just so brutally honest, we kind of neglect the love kind of a part, yeah. and, and it takes it takes both of that. Yeah. All right, well, the other part of this I wanted to talk about was this, this really uh, a big trend of big-name Christian speakers, musicians, and whatnot that are deconstructing their faith, and that's the term that they use. Um, and, and deconstructionism is actually a part of postmodern thinking. Um, you know, postmodernism, which progressive Christians really follow into postmodernism. Postmodern thinking, to basically sum it up, there's a lot of different elements that we don't have time to get into, but postmodernism basically um, is suspicious or skeptical of what they call meta-narratives. Uh, meaning the, you know, the traditions, the systems, the authorities. It's very, very suspicious and skeptical of the things that have been around in place for years. And once again, it's really based on what is my personal local level experience uh, sort of trumps any of these institutions. And so it's very, very much uh, suspicious of institutions, which on the surface already, you're probably thinking, well, the church has been around for 2,000 years. Yeah, they're suspicious and skeptical of anything that comes out of church tradition, out of you know uh, the Protestant Reformation, anything from Luther. Cal yeah, we're not, we don't care about any of those things. We don't care anything about going all the way back to the early church fathers. You know, those guys, we we don't really necessarily believe because they were they were affected by their biases and things in that time, and so we don't really want to buy into that. We we only care about what happens today, um, and so those kind of ideas comes out of that, and then deconstructionism is basically the idea and it, it evolves in, in um, or is involved in, in uh, literature, it's involved in theology, it's involved in a bunch of different areas. But when it's evol involved in uh, Christian faith, deconstructing your faith basically means I'm going to tear down everything that I've been taught about my Christian beliefs, whether I grew up in the church. Because, I mean, we've got, 
I mean, I'm one of those people. I got saved when I was seven years old. I grew up in a Christian home. We always went to church, you know. Uh, you know, I went, you know, kind of had a little crisis of faith in college and then, you know, got over it. And, you know, here I am a preacher, you know, for the last 12 years. So, you know, everybody that grew up in the church kind of goes through this period of, I don't want to say doubt, but this period of like questioning, do I really believe for my own sake or do I believe because my parents told me so or because the church told me so? And so I think every Christian, especially those that were saved at an early age, go through that period of time. It just usually happens when you're in your teenage years or kind of early 20 college years, you know, when you hit that philosophy of a religion professor that's an atheist or that biology teacher, you know, whatever. Um, but I think everybody kind of goes through that. But then you've got these guys lately, and um, uh, Marty Sampson from Hillsong wrote a lot of uh, popular songs from Hillsong, recently comes out and he's like, I'm, I don't know that I'm a Christian anymore. And uh, one you might have heard of that Joshua Harris that wrote uh, that book back in the 90s, like I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Mm. And then he's been a pastor for years recently. Is like, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I mean, I'm deconstructing my faith. Uh, one that I'm very familiar with, uh, K-Max from, uh, used to be DC Talk back in the day was my band that I liked. You know, years ago is like, I'm, you know, I've deconstructed my faith. And I mean, you know, just all these guys, there was a guy from, uh, I can't think of his name, that was a major writer for uh, John Piper's Desiring God website. And so all these guys that are coming out and like, you know what, we've been Christians for years. We've written, you know, Christian blogs. We've preached for, you know, decade, uh, written all these Christian songs. But now, you know what, I don't think we believe anymore. And interestingly enough, almost every single one of them revolves around the homosexual transgender issue. They're like, you know what, I just feel like the Bible's wrong on this issue and I don't think I can believe it anymore. Well, see, we're back <clears throat> to that whole issue of what the Bible is, if, the, if, the, if it is the Word of God. Yeah. And that's where our faith does take a hit. I mean, if you don't have confidence that what you're holding is your hand is the very words of God, well, then you are left kind of... Uh, left to, uh, you know, flounder around and, and uh, whenever it does get tested, you, there's nothing. You, we've got to place our faith in that objective truth of Christ, you know, from, of Scripture, you know, that sort of thing, through Scripture. And when this just becomes like the words of a man or the words of a witness or something, and they don't see it as being inspired. And if they do see it as being inspired, it's, it's more like it's subjectively inspired. Like, right. you know, the, the writers just were somehow subjectively moved to write down what they saw or something like that. And then when we read it, it's, a, it's all subjective as well. And we operate out of our feelings mm -hmm. rather than the objective truth that we have. And so everything yeah. becomes subjective. And so they look at things differently and that way they can just kind of go through and, and uh, pick the things they like and ignore the stuff that they don't like. And right. I mean, there, <laughs> so I mean how, we were talking about commentaries earlier. I mean, there are, there are commentaries on every book of the Bible and you read it. I mean, I'm reading five or six, sometimes even 10 commentaries when I'm preparing for these sermons week to week. And uh, there are plenty of times I'm reading something in a commentary that this commentator has come up with and I go, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't like the way that sounds. It doesn't seem to fit with what I think the Bible is saying here. But there's a difference because a commentary is a human document and we believe this was divinely inspired by God. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3, of course, a passage you're familiar with, 
uh, even tells us that in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's what that word inspiration, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so if the Word of God, if the Bible is truly God's Word that He has inspired and of course, we believe in uh, verbal plenary inspiration, right. which means like every word of the Bible, every jot and tittle, as Jesus says, of the law will not pass away. You know, every word of the Bible is inspired by God. That doesn't mean that the, the writers were robots. I mean, they, they, they were writing, they're writing their personality, they're writing their concerns, but it's like the Holy Spirit is guiding their hand. And there's other passages uh, that, that uh, of course, the book of Hebrews that I'm going through now on Sunday mornings talks about that. This is Scripture. This is God's Word to us. Uh, David might have penned it down, but it was the Holy Spirit that told him what to write down. And so, uh, you know, this is a different kind of literature, a different book than any other book that you're going to read. It's not a matter of whether you agree with it or not. It's a matter of this is God's Word, and uh, your, your belief or disbelief doesn't really matter. It's this, this is what truth is. Uh, and if you can't, you know, if you can't buy the truth, then you're right. just kind of lost. Right. right. And um, and then really you're kind of lost if you don't have a standard. Because I mean, if you if everybody, and that's what I was talking about at the beginning, the progressive movement is really just kind of spread out, and, and there's different levels of what different churches believe. Well, it makes sense if everything's subjective, like you're saying. Then I mean, literally every church is like a whole different denomination because they believe differently mm -hmm. than this church right down the street from them. And I mean, we already have that with with the different you know denominations or whatever going on. But it's even more so within the progressive movement because they don't even have a standard uh, that they're supposed to follow. I've always kind of viewed that if 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 the word of God is if this is God's word. Then it has authority over us, and it's authority. It's a, it has authority over us whether you accept it or not. Uh, this is the word of God. But when you receive it as the word of God, then then it has authority over you, and you have to you have to submit yourself to it. You're subject to that word. But when you've got some kind of a subjective understanding of the word, and it's nothing more than just the the mere words of a witness, well then you then have authority over it <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah. you don't submit yourself to it now now it's got to submit it it's got to submit to you and that's what we run into with a lot of, it's not necessarily just debating what a verse might mean or something like that you know it's it's their whole approach to scripture is different than than what ours is and uh, that's where the differences come in so i don't know what they call themselves but uh, that's, that's that's where they're well, whatever where they're title missing. they use yeah. Right? Yeah. well i mean and that, of course that's it, it ties into that postmodern thinking again because the whole idea of postmodernism is there is no absolute truth you yeah. know truth is whatever you say it is uh which we always laugh that was always the joke in seminary it's like there's no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth you know they they forget that part because they're making an absolute statement when they say that but like you said, I mean, if, if there's no, if it's all subjective, but if there's no absolute truth, then Scripture's what I make it to be. My church is what I make it to be. Christianity is what I make it to be. God's what I make Him to be. I've essentially created God in my own image. Right. We, and we're idolatry. We're back to idolatry again, uh, without the statue, uh, so to speak. But I mean, you know, I ask you, like, how often does that work for you out in like real world? Like when the police officer pulls you over for speeding. 
and you say, you know what, I don't believe I was speeding. Does that <laughs> yeah. work for you? No, it doesn't work. No, because there's a, there's a law, there's a truth, whether you want to buy it or not. Uh, and, and the reality, truth is what corresponds to reality. So, you know, the reality is you're going to get a ticket and you could choose to believe that that happened or not, but you're going to get arrested when you don't pay the ticket. So, I mean, you know, truth, truth's going to smack you around one way or another. And, and unfortunately, in the end, truth, reality is going to show up when Jesus returns again. And all those people are going to be crying out, Lord, Lord, did we not? You know, mm -hmm. something I've run into is, is, um, you know, people will sometimes say something like, um, like they just completely disregard the Old Testament, even. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's uh, a, they yeah. will, uh, they'll still say something about the words of Jesus. You know, they they if if they follow what Jesus taught, if Jesus taught it, then then that's what they follow, and everything. And so they reduce their Bible down to just the red letters. Mm -hmm. In, in the scripture and everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, ah, dude, you, 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 what do you think you're looking at here? Uh, a big, big one I'm thinking about when you said that is uh, Andy Stanley. Uh, you know, of course, the great Charles Stanley out in, in Georgia, uh, Atlanta area, but then Andy Stanley, Stanley his son, went off and at, uh, I can't remember the name of his church, uh, North Point, I think it is, something like that. It's one of those points. There's always those point churches yeah. that are the new thing. Uh, and they use, sometimes they have the E on the end. I always laugh about that. They're like pointy, oh, but it's, yeah. like, it's like French or something. Anyway, but uh, you know, he, he uh, recently said, and I say recently, it's probably like a year or two ago, but um, said, had this sermon where he talked about we need to, as Christians, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And the mm -hmm. idea of like, we need to like not to put any emphasis on the Old Testament, we really just need to focus on the New Testament. Well, of course, with the book of Hebrews, as I've been going through that, the book of Hebrews is really the main connection back to the Old Testament. There's more Old Testament quotes and allusions in the book of Hebrews than anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's really tying all of the, I mean, it's, it's almost like the road to Emmaus experience where Jesus is like going back and showing the, those disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is what all that stuff meant. It's like tying, it's like the whole Old Testament is pointing Towards Christ. Towards Christ. Christ. I mean, yeah. I mean, not every single verse. I mean, obviously, you know, you know those those passages about like you know don't wear two different types of clothing. Well, that's yeah. not not directly pointing to Jesus, but the whole idea <clears throat> of the Old Testament points towards Christ. And of course, all the systems of the sacrifices and the high priest and all those things point. Yeah, to I him haven't as well. followed him enough to know what he teaches or anything like that. But I, it's you, you get a lot of that, and it may not even be announced that that's mm -hmm. what you're you're receiving. But it all comes to you from. Uh, from uh, what the, the, just the teachings of, of Jesus, and that's the only thing you're getting is the teaching of Jesus. So I ran into that a, that a few times. Now I tell you something. I think we need to get back to. I think we need to get back to preaching about holiness and yeah. and uh, and things like that because we've got people. You know, we've got a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who there's there's churches with alcohol problems going, and there's churches with uh, uh, marijuana and weed and and uh, gambling issues and all of these kind of a things. And it's funny how we can, I, I think of this verse, and I, I looked at it here a minute ago, and I was gonna read it to you. This is, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through, 9 through 10. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or the effeminate, that's talking about homosexuality, or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
Yeah, man, that's pretty straightforward. And it's not saying that you're not going to fall in sin. You're not going to be tempted and be given over to sin. But for the believer, there ought to be some type of conviction in your heart that yeah. that something's wrong here. And if, and if you can live in that sin and be comfortable in that sin and even encourage it and promote it and then take the scripture and, and develop you a little theology that is uh, kind <laughs> toward your sin and accepting of your sin, yeah. man, I don't know if you can even call yourself saved uh, doing things like that. But uh, uh, all we can do is just keep pointing people back to the scripture. But even amongst conservative churches and believers and things like that, you, every, everybody's got their own little uh, liberal tendencies you know, it, my little my little thing may be different than your little thing or something like that, but we have that way of just kind of developing our own little theologies around our little our little pet uh, things that we have. Well, and it, go, it goes back to what, like I said, the whole progressive idea. It's all about how I feel about it. It's my feelings. It's like you know, what, whatever I feel, it, it trumps any kind of truth and any kind of, of history and I'm, any kind of tradition. One time, I talked to an old boy, and he, you know, he'd been living with his girlfriend for a long time and and stuff. And I, I tried to talk to him about, you know, I go and I tell him, so you know, this little living arrangement that you're in is is sin. He goes, well, yeah, I know, but you know, I've talked to the Lord about this, and, and he 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 kind of understands where I'm from, where I'm coming from, and I said, uh, so it might not have been the Lord you were yeah, talking to, <laughs> but you get you get responses like this from people, yeah. and so I say, well, what you're telling me is that okay, God God tells us that that's a that's a sin, but uh, you're an exception yeah. uh, to the rule, mm -hmm. kind of a thing, and boy, they're totally convinced in that, and and I'm sitting to think, boy, it. It, you know what happens when they when they do stand before the Lord and they realize how wrong uh, wrong they were and everything. Yeah, but I, I do believe we need to get back to to teaching on some holiness that, that being separate. You know, because you're talking about the cultural kind of aspect of of our Christianity. You know, we need to. That's what that that's what holiness is. Holiness is that being separate unto God. Yeah. You know, separate, sanctified, set apart for God's use. And uh, we need to kind of get back into, there's just some places I can't go. There's some things I, I can't say, and there's some things I shouldn't be doing. And, and, and even if I feel like I had the freedom to do it, you know, if, if it's harmful to my testimony or my witness and things like that, we need to be teaching some of this. Uh, we're responsible. We, we're responsible to, to others and, and then accountable to the Lord for doing that. Where's the fear of God? anymore in this in this nonsense yeah. you know uh, as pastors man we need to we need to be teaching and preaching with some sort of fear of God the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and so you know um, I don't know I think we I think we operate more out of a fear of man than we do the fear of God and and, uh, and we need to we need to kind of um, get back to just fearing fearing the Lord and and uh, pointing people to Jesus and the truth of the scriptures. That just reminds me of uh, years and years ago. I had this lady at the church that uh, ended up having an affair on her husband, and then you know she was going to divorce him and leave him for this guy. And she comes and talks to me about it, and I'm just like, I'm sitting here like, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I mean, and she was like heavily involved in the church and volunteered to all this stuff, and you know, it kind of kind of took me by surprise and. 
And then she said, it's like, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my marriage. It's like, doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, and I shocked her because I was like, no. <laughs> she was like, what? I was like, God wants you to be holy, <laughs> not happy. I was like, You're, you'll be blessed by being holy, but that's not the same thing as being happy. And uh, she, she didn't come back to the church, unsurprisingly. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I knew that, that was like a, a shocking thing. And, it, and it's like people have this attitude. And I, I don't know if this is an American sort of attitude. That's like we're in the, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and individual rights. And, you know, the American dream. And it's all about me being happy and getting what I want. It's right. a very, very selfish position. And you, you even talked about, you know, we, even when we have the freedom in Christ to do something, not everything is profitable, right. as Paul says, right. you know. And then especially when it causes our brother or sister in Christ to stumble, sometimes we give up and sacrifice on behalf of our brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, but, you, boy, you don't see that. That's, that's another American kind of, you know, kind of idea. Becoming, it's like, I'm, I'm free and I'm going to do whatever I want to. I don't care what anybody else cares. You yeah, know? well, we're, we're becoming so much like the world. The church is becoming so much like the world you almost can't tell us apart anymore. Oh and uh, yeah, we need to be culturally relevant. And I think the scriptures and I think the word of God and everything is culturally right. relevant. But uh, at the same time, there is that there is that idea of um, holiness. There's that idea of being a, a sanctified, set apart uh, for God's purposes and uses. The the church, you know, the word for the church is supposed to be that the called out one, set apart. So. Well, there's got to be some distinction between us and the world. We can't just adopt the worldly way of doing things and and uh, and, and and be relevant to, at the same time. It's just uh, we got to make those differences known. True enough. Final words. I don't know. You give me the final words. I have no final words. I don't even know if I know what I'm talking about. I'm just rambling a bunch of stuff. No, it was good. Actually, what you just said that was good. Final words. I'll just say. Yeah, ditto. I agree with all of that. Uh, you know, getting back to, to holiness and, and uh, uh, trusting and believing in God. And I, uh, oh, the passage I was going to read out of Second Timothy, um, you know, part, part of what this whole progressive movement does, like I said, is they see the Bible as this, uh, you know, primarily human book and not not a uh, inspired by God. And uh, but of course, they they misunderstand. Uh, every basic tenet of, of the belief of Christianity when you don't believe God's Word, because this is His special revelation to right, us, of course, right. ultimately fulfilled in, in the Word of God made flesh in Christ. But Second um, Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. Well, this is the Word of truth, and rightly handling it means that we hold it sacredly, that we study it, that we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are understanding and properly interpreting and properly parsing and, and, and getting the background and understanding uh, relevant issues within every scripture. And uh, unfortunately, we live in a time where, at least here in America, biblical illiteracy is at like an all-time high. I mean, the older generations that grew up in Sunday school and stuff, they have good knowledge, but I was like, you know, like my age and younger, I was like, they barely know even the basic stories of the Bible. I mean, I've, I've had conversations with youth or even young adults where I mentioned something like David and Goliath or, you know, like the flood, and they'll be like, what? And you're, you're like, you, uh, you don't know that story? I was like, even just the basic story, let alone like, you know, passages of Scripture. But, um, you know, there, there's a, it's, a, it's a whole brand new world that we live in. And, uh, 
Uh, we've got to be really, really good to find ourselves studying and improving ourselves to be good stewards of God's Word as well. And so once you're handling God's Word and understanding it properly and interpreting it in the proper way, well, then you're not going to go off in left field with some of your theology. At least that's the plan. So, well, anything else? Man, I don't know. All right. <laughs> well, that's probably a good place to stop. We will catch you next time, and uh, I'll probably be talking about, unless God changes, I'll probably be talking about Melchizedek. Who is that guy? What is his deal in the book of Genesis and Psalms and, of course, in uh, Hebrews as we get to that? And what is Jesus' relationship to Melchizedek? So we'll talk about that next time. Have a good week.